May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Can y'all hear me okay? Does the sound on? Okay. I just unclipped it from my belt, so give me a minute. <laughs> this is going to be very embarrassing. Um, we're going to have to cut it out of the podcast. Uh, Shannon. Okay, we can hear you okay? All right. Whew. This is the first and great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. At some point in the uh, third century, Jewish scholars decided that there were 613 laws contained in the Torah. Uh, Not surprisingly, you can't go, the Torah is the first five books, you can't go to the first five books of the Bible and find any uh, list, one through 613, that would be too too easy. I suppose Google might be able to point you in the right direction. Um, But of, of these 613 laws, there are 365 negative laws, thou shalt not, and 248 positive laws, thou shalt. Now, Jewish teachers have uh, turned this into somewhat of a teaching device. 365 obviously represents the number of times it takes for the earth to go around, uh, or excuse me, how, yeah, 365 days. Yes, that's how many days it takes for the earth to go around the sun in a complete orbit. And 248, not so obviously, equals the number of bones in your body plus the number of major in your body. Um, uh, uh, and finally, 613 apparently represents the average number of seeds found in a pomegranate fruit. I dare you to count. Um, so based on this information, it is thought that the forbidden fruit in the garden was actually a pomegranate and not an apple, as uh, popular belief. Therefore, one might conclude that the pomegranate fruit, with its 613 seeds representing the 613 laws, is what, is what Adam and Eve, what give them the knowledge of good and evil. But as we all know, just because Adam and Eve know right from wrong doesn't mean they do right. Uh, such is the human condition. Knowledge doesn't always lead to right action. A smarter people doesn't necessarily mean a better people. Uh, at best, a smarter people might mean a people who are better at hiding their flaws. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't take a sociologist to know that there's a gap between knowing what is right and wrong and doing what is right and refraining from what is wrong. Uh, St. Paul says it like this, I do the very evil I don't want to do and do not do the good that I want to do. So it's not enough to know what is right and what is wrong. As our collect for this morning, that opening prayer for this morning suggests, we need to be able to love what is right in order to do what is right. In other words, our behavior, our actions, our words are a product of who and what we love. The problem, of course, is that we humans love imperfectly. I read uh, recently that uh, humans are natural pagans. Uh, we, we, we are not monotheists. We worship a lot, of, a lot of different gods. 
our hearts are divided. We can't love just one God. Uh, we seek out those, those lesser, imperfect gods, those mortal gods, material possessions or success or entertainment or popularity. Um, these are our, our, our lesser gods. While they might not be bad in and of themselves, they can misguide us if they become the most important thing in our life above the God of love. And when we misplace, when we misplace our love, when we put our love in the wrong things, these lesser gods tend to promote love of self over love of others, while, love of, while the love of God tends to promote the love of neighbor as thyself. Uh, over the last two or few weeks in Matthew's Gospel, we've had seats to the ongoing feud between Jesus and the religious leaders in the days leading up to the Passover, uh, staged in the Jerusalem temple, a diverse group of religious leaders, leaders that are used to debating each other, have now teamed up as allies. And this time, they are debating Jesus in a not-so-friendly game of stump the rabbi. Uh, today, we see the Pharisees try to take one last stab at Jesus. They want to know what Jesus thinks the greatest commandment of all is. Apparently, that's a favorite pastime, to sit around the water cooler and talk about which of the 613 is the greatest, which of them sums up the rest. And Jesus gets this answer, what this seems like a softball answer correctly. Of course, love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then he tosses a fastball right back at him. For starters, he implies that if you say you love God, but you do not love your neighbor, then you're really just giving lip service. To God. He then goes on to say in a roundabout way, and oh yeah, by the way, I am God and y'all are not loving me right now. Uh, and later in, in, God's, in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will say, if you want to love me, then love the least, the last, and the lost. And if you reject the least, the last, and the lost, then you are neglecting to love me. First John is a little bit more in your face about it. Uh, he says, if you say you love God, but hate your neighbor, then you are a liar. Uh, if, if you're being honest with yourself, then this teaching on the love of God equaling the love of neighbor should call you up short. I know it calls me up short. Too often have I said something with my lips to do another thing in my life. Too often have I professed my love for Jesus only to pass him by on the way home. Dorothy Day says it like this, I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. We're just going to sit with that for a second. Uh, a little over a week ago, Simpson lost a man whose love of God was evident in how he loved his neighbor. Uh, John Wilson was our community outreach chair. He was the leader of our ministry uh, to feed the hungry in Avondale. He was an active member of the choir. Uh, the beautiful hymns and prayers John said here on Sundays only made sense because they called him uh, to love and serve the Lord outside these doors. For John, love of God and worship of God didn't stop at 11.30 on Sunday. It continued on. It was just getting started. Uh, like clockwork, you could count on John showing up on Tuesdays to stock the pantry for the Abbey. And those who distributed lunches on Thursday mornings could uh, always trust that John would be there with a, 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 a hot batch of cheese grits. Uh, and now, now during this, this annual campaign, there have been other ways for us to reflect on how we as a parish community 
are loving God by loving our neighbor. Uh, obviously, a part of that evidence is with the Abbey or at the First Light Shelter or at the Weekend Backpack Program. Uh, we love God by coming up alongside fellow parishioners who've received scary news about their health or when a loved one has died. We love God by showing up to celebrate and encourage a family when they've had a new child. We love God by visiting and spending time with those who are lonely and afraid. We love God by hosting a birthday party every year at Episcopal Place for those who might not otherwise have a birthday party. Now, using our annual giving tagline, you can start to find evidence of your love of God by examining how you spend your own time and your own talent and your own treasure. And looking at all this, looking at your time, talent, and treasure, how you use it, is going to tell you a little bit about what you love and who you love. It will also tell you how much you love, who you love, and what you love. There's no doubt you will find all kinds of evidence that you're loving God by loving your neighbor, and maybe in ways you didn't even think about. And despite your best efforts, I imagine you'll also find a little bit of evidence of, of how you don't love God as much as you would like to. You'll find evidence that your heart is divided, that you love several lesser gods, sometimes more than the one true God. But again, even on our best days, there's going to be a gap between what we want to do and what we actually do. But this isn't a reason to despair. In fact, the realization of this gap will actually help you live more fully into the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. Our natural instincts will tell us to try harder, to fill the gap. But that's really just another form of idolatry because it's still about us trying harder. We're still putting ourselves at the center. Um, you've become the lesser God in that case. But Jesus is actually saying, return to me, rest in me. And when you find your rest in me, my love for you will give you all that you need and all that you have to get from here to there. On the cross where Jesus died, the love of God, that vertical love, and the love of neighbor, that horizontal love, intersect and fills the gap between the two. On the cross, where the gap between love of God and love of neighbor is filled, hangs all the love in the world. All the world, all the world, all this sad and lonely world needs is found right there on the cross. That's all we need to thrive in this world. So when you find yourself worshiping those lesser gods, when you find yourself, your heart divided between the lesser gods and the one true God, I encourage you to return to the cross. Return to the place where God's great love for you and the world may give you the grace to love God and love your neighbor 365 days of the year with all your might and all your mind and all of your body. Amen.